0: If you love philosophical rambles like the interview you're about to hear with filmmaker Dan Knight coming into your ear holes for free each and every week, head to comingupnext.com.au where you can subscribe to this here podcast. Select iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, whichever platform you listen to, hit that subscribe button. It's going to download for you automatically each and every week. Hey folks, welcome back to another Podcast Ramble. Thanks for tuning in again, and what a way to kick off the year with my guest from last week, Joe Berlinger. He came on the show and spoke about his uh, dual Ted Bundy projects. One is uh, scripted, starring Zac Efron, which is set to drop at uh, Sundance this coming weekend. Um, And the other is a true crime series, which is going to be hitting Netflix on the 24th of January uh, we also spoke about the Paradise Lost trilogy, which is really where he made his, uh, his name as a, as a documentary filmmaker. And uh, some kind of monster working with Metallica, working with Tony Robbins on I Am Not Your Guru. Um, go to comingupnext.com.au. You'll find it there along with the entire back catalogue. My guest this week has been working on a, on a film project for the last 15 years and it's just had its debut at uh, Flickrfest in sydney dan knight is uh is someone who i've known has been kind of in my circles for uh for quite a while and i remember getting wind of this this project it's based on a uh, terry pratchett story called troll bridge um the film is called troll bridge and uh i really wanted to speak with dan about what it takes the the kind of persistence the, uh, the, the challenges, the triumphs, the, the difficulties faced in putting together a, a film like this uh, over such a long period of time, all the iterations it goes through. Um, they had one of the most successful, I think actually the most successful Australian Kickstarter campaign at the time around about 2011. So I was very excited when, uh, when I saw that, um, that, that the film was, was, uh, was going out into the world and having its debut. I was really excited about speaking with Dan on the show. If you want to check out a trailer and, and any information uh, on, on the film, including uh, ways to pre-order it, you can head to uh, trollbridge.film. Um, but anyway, we talk about the usual musings. You know the drill. So please welcome to coming up next to the podcast, Dan Knight. Congratulations again man on, uh, on Flickrfest. It must be, I mean I couldn't even really imagine what it would feel like to get to the kind of, not the end, but to get to this point of a 15 year journey and to then watch your film completed with an entire audience at a film festival.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it, it was it was a thrill. I mean, we're very lucky in that we'd been kind of um, running iterations of the film throughout the years at the various Discworld conventions. Um, so it wasn't technically the first time I'd seen it with an audience, but it was certainly the first time I'd seen it with, uh, I guess, your regular punter, your non-Discworld fan. Um, and being able to hear th- their reactions to the project um, after a long time was... Uh, yeah. That had an air of finality about it uh, uh, for me. It's not c- quite over yet, <laughs> uh, not by a long shot. But it was certainly um, a pleasure just to 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 reach that milestone. Well, in a sense, this is kind of the beginning, I guess. Yeah, the, the beginning of the publicity tour. Now, it's it's all about um, running the festival gauntlet, and uh, I guess trying to get the next projects up off the ground, whatever they may be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really keen to kind of dig into the whole process and. I guess what it takes from your point of view to persist with a project for that long. But I like to start all of, well, kind of segue through my conversations right at the beginning of a a person's kind of artistic life. So I wonder if you remember what or when the first time was that you made a film or you made like, you know, did a play or something in your childhood?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I'd always been a performer through primary school, I mean, I was, I guess I was bullied relentlessly and I found performance as a way of being able to control how people interacted or saw me. Um, if I was able to make fun of myself first, I was actually able to control the conversation. Um, so I, I, I took performance on or drama on as a, a secondary subject in high school. Um, I really, really liked it and wanted to be an actor. Um, I then joined a local theatre group called Black Yak Theatre in WA and they were incredibly supportive. and. One of the shows they put on, uh, which I auditioned for, was Mort. And that was a a stage adaptation of one of the Discworld books. So my introduction to Discworld was completely through performance. And it was such an incredible book to read. um, It kind of stuck with me, the the world, and I, I, I then went and you know i wanted to be able to do a decent audition so I, I i then pretty much started picking up all the books and reading them like you you wouldn't believe um and then from there i like i was never going to be able to make it as an actor in wa so i moved over to melbourne to try and be the to, to try and see what i could do here and i, I was constantly thinking about Discord in the back of my head and i was doing all these student films and i directed a fair bit of theater well some theater a little bit of theater um, <laughs> And I was doing these student films, and I was kind of thinking, they're not actually teaching these directors how to deal with actors. I thought, I can can do that. And I'd been saying for such a long time, um, my friends were like, yeah, are you you actually going to do that? Or are you just going to talk? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, And I thought, what better film to do uh, than um, a short Discord film? Because I I, I was already so familiar. Uh, Back in WA, we'd done five plays by that point. Um, I directed a couple, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to direct a short discord film. So it's all interlocked, uh, all, all of that, um, for such a long time. Um, I, I'd been working on that short for, uh, I guess it's coming up to sixteen years now, um, and the, the the plays and whatnot that I'd done prior
0: to that all fed into that. It's a pretty incredible thing, I guess, to to reflect on that how kind of interwoven all of that is. When you were uh, in, whereabouts in WA? Perth. From Perth, yeah. Was your family like, were they in the arts at all? Were they?
1: I have an uncle uh, who who works in circus, uh, but he, he, I mean, he was, he was there on and off, but he, he didn't ring me up or anything like that. Um, I got no idea who my father, I mean, I know who my father is, but I haven't seen him since I was three. Um, and my mother was a photographer, uh, but that was kind of the only arts influence there as well. Um, I wasn't brought up in kind of an artistic environment, it was just something I fell into as a form of escapism and and dealing with
0: my real world issues. I guess that's kind of a, I don't wanna say it's a common thread, but it's a great way to, like you said before, to be able to control your environment or at least to kind of escape to use your imagination to really delve in, into that world and, and... Don't they say like uh, directors are just people that can't deal with reality? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I, th- I, think th- I think that's probably a, a part of it, it's being able to shape my own reality and being in control of that as a kind of a dictator kind of thing. Um, was, I was able to have something of myself that was completely of my own construction rather than whatever forces that were happening in the world uh, that I had no control over whatsoever. Um,
0: and when you moved to Melbourne, were you studying, did you study film or did you just go into working on student films? Yeah, uh,
1: I well I didn't have a show reel because I'd just done theatre at that point. So I, I was told you need to get a show reel together. Well, the only one I'm gonna be able to do that is to assist on these student films. Um, And and in doing so, I I met a whole heap of people and was able to go, oh, I could could use that person here and that person here and I could build my own film. Now, I had no idea how to make a film. It was completely and utterly arrogant of me to think that I would be able to know
0: how to to make a film. But I I understood actors and that was the starting point. Sure. And from there, well, I mean, what was the process of deciding that Troll Bridge was going to be the piece that you wanted to produce? Uh, he well I knew it was I,
1: I definitely knew I wanted to do Discworld um, and there was a few short stories that he'd written and of those I thought Trollbridge was possibly well definitely the most cinematic um, of of his shorts uh, and that was it that 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 was pretty much the entire like I, I, I like, pretty much love all of Terry's work uh, there's there's not much I don't like I'd be happy to direct anything of his um, so uh, just choosing the most cinematic, I thought I'd be able to
0: crowdfund that the easiest um, and, and here we are. So I guess it was what, about 2003 that you made that decision?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd been talking shit about it for such a long time before that, but uh, 2003 was when we started location scouting. Right. That, that was when we signed the documentation with um, uh, Terry's publisher, uh, Colin Smythe. Um, and it was actually
0: happening. This was this was something we were pro- progressing with. So, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, around what was it like April two thousand eleven? You started a Kickstarter campaign. Uh-huh. What what was taking place between two thousand and three and two thousand eleven? Screwing
1: everything up, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> right. essentially. Uh, so the. the I mean, there's so many different versions of the film now, but there was a very different version of Troll Bridge that existed in that time period. Um, we, uh, When we did the crowdfunding, we crowdfunded for $5,000, which for a first time filmmaker was like, that's incredible, oh my God, I've got all the money I could ever possibly need, <laughs> uh, which was some naivety. I tell you.
0: Uh, <laughs> this, that was also before crowdfunding, like before everyone was doing crowdfunding.
1: Yeah, it was before Kickstarter existed. So we had to do it every, every in, before PayPal was in Australia even. So we had to use another platform called Paymate. Um, so people were able to put the money in there and then we use the money to um, feed people, transportation, makeup and hair, um, costuming.
0: You know, the, 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 the the things that you need for a film. I remember, uh, I have a vague memory of um, Liam McIntyre, who's a mutual friend of ours, and, um, one, and Damien Chehi, who I went to film school with, filming something, some kind of uh, battle scene or some something to do with Troll Bridge, uh, which is must be one of these earlier iterations that you're talking about.
1: Yeah, that was kind of a, a, a 1.2 iteration. Um, so, uh, When when we did the original version of Troll Bridge, um, I wrote a little bit of a prologue at the beginning, um, which had nothing to do with the story, and basically the only reason I wrote it is because I wanted to shoot a sword fight. (laughs) That that was literally the only reason. So um, I was able to pull in the tropes and um, make some fun of the barbarian genre while doing so. Um, And in the original version, we lost half of that footage, so we knew we had to reshoot it all again. Um, At this point, Terry had made the comment to me that he thought he could have written it better. (laughs) Obviously, right, he can. And I thought, well, that's never going to be an option. But I wrote to him anyway and said, well, you said you thought you could write it better. Now is actually your opportunity to do so. And he wrote some beautiful dialogue for that scene. And as soon as we had that dialogue, I thought, oh, my God, if we're going to reshoot this, let's do it on a way larger scale um so we shot uh what, what was a little battle with some uh six soldiers and, a, and an evil wizard uh ended up becoming two opposing armies uh an evil wizard and all sorts of other crazy nonsense going on um and we convinced uh through a gentleman called stephen wiley um we were able to convince a large proportion of the australian Uh, historical and reenactment community. So these are people that uh, beat each other with swords for fun (laughs) and and make their own armour and um, historical accurate costumes uh, to come out onto this dry lake bed in the middle of rural Victoria to bash the hell out of each other for three days straight. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, and so uh, Liam was our first AD. He also... um, played one of the characters of the dialogue that Terry had written um, and and Damien was
0: our DOP at that point. Mm. So I guess what kind of became of those earlier iterations and then what led into starting this Kickstarter campaign, which I think from memory at the time was the most successful Australian Kickstarter campaign yeah, at, at, the, point. At, at
1: the time, we were asking for $45,000, which we thought was a stupid amount of money. We got $72,000, which was an incredibly stupid amount of money. Um, and, and it's been ticking over uh, ever, ever since. Um, so I guess th- the prologue worked for us, mm. um, as, as did the original version of the film. Without those things, we certainly wouldn't have been able to do so well uh, with the Kickstarter campaign in 2011.
0: Yeah, and so you used those initial... Uh, the, the prologue and, and what you'd shot uh, as, I guess, pilot material, if you like? For, yeah, for
1: that. I think I think that's a fair call. Um, we didn't think we'd be reshooting the, the prologue. We thought the prologue would be like, that's the prologue now. Um, but we definitely wanted to reshoot the main story, uh, which is all the stuff centred around the bridge, the trolls, the talking horse, all of that we had to reshoot. The main problems we were running into is that we had this, awesome visual effects artist called Christian Block, who was a Discord fan living in L.A. Um, who was producing this amazing animation with the trolls and just the, the DV footage that we'd shot the original version on just was n- no not going <laughs> to hold up to the quality of what Christian was doing. Um, so we kept talking about rebooting, 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 don't finish, just reboot. And, and that's what we did in 2011.
0: Right. Did you start, was Snowgum film something that you started as like a purpose vehicle or was it just you wanted to start a production company? No, it was definitely a purpose vehicle. Uh,
1: Brennan, Penny and I, um, which
0: was the, uh, a mate and location
1: scout. So on the very first day of uh, location scouting, we were going up to Mount Buller to see if we could find some decent mountain backdrops. We were going through the beautiful misty snow gums and that's when the production company was named. It was named on the location scouting for Trollbridge. The only reason Snowgum Films existed was to create this film.
0: Right. So I suppose, you know, let's sort of put a marker in 2011. What were some of the, I guess, frustrations or challenges that you felt going at that point, going, all right, now we have to reboot. What's already been eight years of work. Were you kind of aware that you were gonna have even then, another five or six years worth of work, or was we? Did you just have this vision that you knew you wanted to achieve?
1: No, no. The idea was that we were going to complete everything in three years. That's genuinely what we thought we could do. Uh, we, we just had no idea. Uh, I think at some point we set the quality levels so high uh, that it was completely beyond our capabilities. And you know, they talk about the the three quadrant. Uh, thing as far as art's concerned, you can either have something cheap or you can have it quick or you can, uh, what's the third one? Cheap, quick or quality. Quality is the third bar and we knew that we wanted quality um, and we had no money. So the, the quickness was, was not possible. Uh, we could only achieve two of those things at any one point. Um, and we were determined to keep the quality and, and that determination stayed on throughout the entire process.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely shows. But I guess I'm curious to, to know or to understand how you maintained that, uh, that sense of, or, or that kind of integrity of the quality of the project. Because there must have been times in that initial eight years and then in the subsequent um, eight years that you felt like, I just want to fucking finish
1: this. <laughs> oh, every day, uh, every day. The why I didn't bail is this wonderful little trick that I, I corner, I, I, I do to myself. And that's I, I corner my thing myself into things. What I'll do is I'll uh, announce my intentions of doing something and I'll get a, as large an audience as possible that I can announce that to. And then I'm trapped. I've effectively trapped myself into, like I can't, I, I don't want to disappoint people. Um, and that's kind of how I motivate myself, at least. Yeah. It's, it's not a healthy way of motivating. Um, <laughs> but if, in, in, And I
0: would certainly wouldn't recommend it. Other people do it. But uh, for, for me, it works. In the, I guess, the shooting of, I mean, as you said, Troll Bridge is a very cinematic story. But it's also, I mean, you must have looked at it and gone, well, this is also very ambitious. I mean, it's about... It's about an old barbarian who, with a talking horse who embarks on a suicidal quest to battle a, a, a troll under a bridge. What were, like, what were the, I guess, day-to-day challenges then once you're in reboot mode in realising that, um, you know, through green screen, through reconstruction, you know, shooting in New Zealand, uh, all of these things?
1: Well, I mean, because we'd made a lot of the mistakes before Uh, anything to do with the secondary shoot ended up being quite easy. Um, I think compared to what occurred after, I think post-production is when it got really tricky. Um, So reshooting the film was actually the the easy bit. Um, Going over to New Zealand, I had an amazing producer, Aaron Morris, who looked after all of that. Uh, We took a skeleton crew over there. Um, who we'd all worked together for so, so often now that we knew how each other worked, we worked really well together, and we got on with it. Uh, two and a half days in Queenstown, we knocked the footage out, came back to Melbourne. Um, we, uh, there's a gentleman called Justin Dix, who's uh, an incredible VFX artist and filmmaker who works in Melbourne. He lent us his uh, uh, art studio to use as a production studio, so we converted that, built the set, um, used a lot of his people to help us realise uh, what all that would look like, and then we just shot it. And because we'd already done it before, it, it, was, it, it, it just wasn't hard. Um, it was a lot of work, but we, we kind of knew the process. Uh, and I imagine you had a lot of fun, kind of doing that as well. Yeah, I was like that. Those studio shoots, those five days of studio shoots were one five of the most pleasurable days of I, I've ever had. We we're all mates. We we're all making uh, a film that we knew how it was going to look. We knew what we wanted from it. Um, it was just yeah, one of the best experiences of my life.
0: There's a, there is a real community. Uh, I mean, I can only really speak for Melbourne, um, but in the filmmaking and acting community, where there is that uh you know like you know you've got your guys uh and then there are that then there's that kind of peripheral circle as well and everyone just kind of mucks in and it's generally a fairly pleasurable experience isn't it yeah i love working here it's great yeah so you are at principal photography and then i guess as you said the the tricky part was then in post-production because i guess i mean did you were there any further reshoots once you'd kind of got this in the can or was it really just a process of overcoming hurdle after hurdle of in in the post-production
1: uh the, the, there was uh, a, a, num- a, a a small number of shots uh that we needed of the troll under the bridge and climbing the bridge that we couldn't get during the, the five days of shooting they were a pickup shots and that, and that was pretty much it and then when we got to post-production it was all on christian blocks Uh, played at that point to be able to uh, understand how it was all going to come together. And it was literally, as you say, one hurdle at a time. It was a very blinkered way of looking at things. It was like, okay, first we need to do this character. We need to get the main troll up to scratch. Um, Okay, So the modeling starts, then the rigging, then experimental in animation, texturing's going on at the same time and, and all of that. And once you've got one troll figured out, and it's a lot easier to know how the the other three trolls are going to look and act and behave. Uh, We used some software called Modo, and that was groundbreaking at the time to do this kind of animation within Modo. Um, uh, And it was basically just dealing with one problem at a time. Uh, Then the horse would come along, and we did that in May, and it was a whole new level of complexity with the fur, uh, because that required simulation as well. and then, the sets were being, and then the sets were being extended digitally and that was a, a, a new process that had a new team looking after it so I was basically getting as many volunteers as possible that kind of were experts in their fields or knew enough about their fields to do something that was ambitious for them that would look great on their showreel
0: and they would get involved and, and, and assist us along the way. So it was all pretty much just people volunteering their time moonlighting and doing it for the love of the project.
1: Yeah, it was a completely non-profit uh, project. None of us were paid. Um, uh, Aaron, Christian and I received some funding outside of crowdfunding um, to enable us to work for a year on the project, which we did, uh, but uh, or the, none of the backer funding went into that. Like that was all private investment, stuff like that. No one got paid.
0: It's incredible. The, yeah. helicopter, the helicopter pilot got paid, right. obviously for <laughs> safety reasons. <laughs> I know that you had release dates initially scheduled for 2013 uh, and 2014 for Discworld events. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about n- not, well, uh, about pulling the pin on those to say, well, we, we're not going to be able to do this. We need more time because I know that this film can be better than what we're going to be able to release then. The film always felt like it
1: was almost done. Um, It was a running joke, I I think it was about six months, oh, we only need another six months. And it always felt like we only needed six months for a great number of years. Um, So when we were making these announcements, we genuinely thought, or or I genuinely thought, uh, there was doubts from the other team, rightly so, uh, that we weren't gonna be able to hit target. and eventually, the rest of the team hated talking about targets, and I would always be pushing for targets because <laughs> um, it always made me feel better to, to know that we were yeah. working towards something at least, not just an endless uh, revision cycle. Um, so, I mean, the Discworld people are very forgiving uh, because they've been watching the film for, well, I mean, they've been watching every single iteration. Uh, over the years, either at the conventions here in Australia or, or in England, um, I would jump between the two. They would occur every uh, off year. Um, so uh, that, they had seen it in its rawest form. Um, so it wasn't too embarrassing to be able to take to them a film that had, was mostly finished or, or, or elements missing simply because I knew that they'd seen it worse before and we had improved <laughs> since then um, and they've always been incredibly supportive of what we we're doing uh, so I always felt that I was really showing it more to a family than a group of strangers.
0: yeah, but I guess knowing that knowing what or being kind of unwavering in your in your determination to realize what you thought was the ultimate vision was more important than a kind of, I guess, uh, not egotistic milestone, but a milestone that was somewhat irrelevant.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, um, because our entire marketing spill was based on quality. We knew that we wouldn't be able to cut back on that. Uh, because people had funded the project based on the quality. People were volunteering on the project based on the quality. Um, we wouldn't have been able to get the people we had volunteering on the project if we were half assing it. Uh, so cutting corners, and we, we cut corners but we tried cutting corners where they wouldn't show. Uh, cutting corners wasn't really too much of an option.
0: So then I guess between, let's say sort of 2014, uh, when, when did you actually kind of put, put the, the flag in the sand and go that we're done?
1: Oh, that was last year. Uh, oh, uh, geez, um, maybe July. I think it was, or, or, or June. Um, we we had iterations that we were shopping around prior to that. Uh, when you say en- shopping around, what do you mean? Entering to film festivals. Yeah, okay. Um, so we're entering film fest because the film festivals that allow a work in progress. We were entering, um, and then uh, but but the flag in the sand was was July. Uh, And and that was a a soft flag. That's just when everybody was getting off the project. Uh, Me, Addison um, and a few other artists, we've been still (laughs) mucking
0: around with some shots (laughs) on the side because I I just can't let the thing go. Yeah. Well, I I mean, it must feel like such a huge part of your life and your identity almost like, I mean, it's been a part of you for... Like you say, almost sixteen years, yeah. I could imagine it would be very, very difficult to kind of just let it go. Yeah, I'm not, I, do, I don't know how I'm going to let it go at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the trick is the trick is letting it go and then moving on to another project, yeah. um, and then
0: hopefully the film Festival circuit can sort that out.: Sure. So what was it like, I guess, t- say 12 months ago when there was actually only six months left? Was mm-hmm. that, were you like going, okay, there's six months left and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Or was there like this kind of collective feeling like actually we can see the end is in sight? No, I don't, I don't think anyone believed that there was six months left. And I, I think there was
1: a fair bit of doubt even when the flag was put in the sand, <laughs> whether it was actually finished or not. Um, I, I, I don't know whether relief was the right. Like, because we'd been working so closely together for such a long time, um, uh, we were e- emotionally uh, and mentally exhausted, pretty much. So it wasn't like, oh, yay, we're finished. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, well, I know for a fact all, all, all three leads, uh, we all had breakdowns. Um, trying to get back involved with with the real world i mean for the longest time we were only communicating people with via skype and email and just locking ourselves in those cramped offices that we built for ourselves like we weren't all in the same office um you know christian was in la aaron was in his office in his flat i was in my office in my house and we're all just chipping away at the film um the isolation does crazy things to your brain
0: Mm, yeah and i guess I mean, even like in a kind of pragmatic sense, the world and technology and everything would have changed so much. I mean, even I mean the lead actor um, is quite old when you started shooting <laughs> the film. Um, you know, just the kind of changes in, in personnel and personality over that period of time, um, I guess when you do come to finish it, it must be like, wow, what have we just kind of, in or come out of or, or you know any of those sort of things
1: yeah it was we I mean we were ch- We were always chasing that technology by the time we finished um, motion capture had become really cheap and accessible which wasn't available to us when we began um, and that would have cut so much time out of the process uh, but then we would have lost uh, a, a lot of the beautiful artwork that our hand animators were able to bring to the project um, so, so that was a corner that we could have cut had the technology uh, have existed at the time. Uh, a lot of people, when they've watched the films, have said our drone footage is incredible. It's like, damn, you know that's a helicopter. That's actually a helicopter, <laughs> not a drone. Because drones didn't exist when we, when we shot that uh, stuff. So the, the technology change has been different. Um, as far as personalities or, 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 or whatnot is concerned, I think everyone's pretty much the same. Um, we have all aged. Uh, I've lost all my hair. Um, my beard is longer.
0: You definitely had long hair, I think, when you were filming that from memory. Yeah, yeah. I still do. It's just now on the chin. On chin yeah. <laughs> so I guess moving, like, what do do you have plans to do another project? What would you... What, and what would you kind of say... Would you embark on the same sort of thing again, knowing that the time commitment or the time investment that would be involved? Would you recommend some, someone who was 15 years younger than you to embark on a journey like that? Oh, hell no, I'd slap them around and say,
1: don't do that. <laughs> uh, there's gotta be an easier way. I, I don't, I'm, this was the, the way we knew how to do it. Um, and I think every filmmaker approaches things completely differently. Uh, we were definitely the crowdfunding generation, as you say, we did it way before Kickstarter existed. Um, and, and maybe we thought we could achieve some things uh, a, a lot more simpler um, than we were able to achieve it. Uh, I don't know what the solution is, but I couldn't recommend anyone spends 15 years on, on anything. I don't know anyone who's done that. I don't, I don't know if it was incredibly a, a, a healthy thing to do. Uh, but that said, uh, the, the art on the other end speaks for itself
0: yeah
1: (laughs) or does it i don't know (laughs) i don't know i think i'm still i am still recovering um like like i said we 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 got out in july what was that seven months ago um and and i i I still feel like
0: i'm still trying to integrate uh with being a human again like i said before i guess how do you kind of identify in the world when that's no longer something, like when that's no longer a pursuit, something that has been a pursuit for probably almost half of your life? Well, I guess the thing is, is it's not over for me yet. I mean, I've still got
1: the festival circuit ahead, so it's mm. not completely out of my hands. Um, and then hopefully I can fill that, that void uh, that, that people joke around me, oh Daniel, you're in trouble. <laughs> once once Roll is gone, you're gonna collapse. Um, no, I'll, I'll just fill it with, with, with something else. Uh, one one thing I did do that I wanted to always do once the film was completed was to um, ask my very long term partner to marry me, um, and I got to do that after the after the the film had screened. For me, that was being able to close that off and being able to open up myself yeah. uh, to to actually a proper life. Um, and she said, "Yeah, so I'm I'm incredibly happy." <laughs> Congratulations, man! That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so there, i don't i don't believe there's going to be a void in my life uh it's just a, a new iteration of
0: daniel yeah well how will you define the success of troll bridge now what would what would be a successful life for the film
1: uh if, if if it does what it was intended to do and it was always designed to be a calling card like all short films are supposed to be business cards this is the, the, the quality of film that I can make Um, and that's for the entire crew and cast that are working on as well it's it's a publicity machine if that can provide us enough publicity uh, not just for me but for the other people working on it as well and that helps with their show reels and being able to get them work and it's already got quite a number of our VFX artists work that worked on this Um, Aaron and I were constantly writing up uh, references uh, for our crew, and they would subsequently get work. Brilliant. Um, so it's it's been a great vehicle for that, and, and provided it can get the rest of us work as well, then that then that'll be outstanding.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, I think you're absolutely right. You know, any anything that you make in this kind of uh, with this kind of ethos, it, you know, it's that communal like push. We're all going to do this together, and we're all going to rise together. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I, I think, I think we ch- achieved that to a, to a, to a great degree. Um, but yeah, now it's this, this last hurdle with, with the, with the film festival circuit that we've
0: got to deal with. Mm. It's the last, the last thing, Are you fantasizing about the next project. Ah, oh, always. <laughs> were you get a little preview or anything
1: no I can't I can't. well it's up in the air uh, what, what it's going to be um, and it, it's going to be entire what it is is going to be entirely dependent on how well troll bridge is received um, because that's going to be dependent on how much money people trust me with because i will never do crowdfunding again just because it's just way too long i would like to continue making stuff on the quality of troll bridge uh but it's got to be completely fully funded everybody's got to be paid for it at which point we're talking tens of millions of dollars um and who's going to trust a short film maker with that kind of cash uh so now
0: it, it needs to do really well on the festival circuit mm, to get that sort of traction yeah What were, I guess, just quickly before we do wrap up, um, what, if anyone was looking to start a crowdfunding campaign because you did have run something that has been so successful on that front, Mm. what do you think the kind of key markers are to running a successful crowdfunding campaign?
1: Uh,
0: Personality and
1: enthusiasm for the product. uh, If you can translate that, so many, I see so many crowdfunding videos where... uh, the, the filmmakers themselves aren't present or they're not revealing who they are. I think people like investing in the idea of somebody, not just a product. They wanna know that their money is going towards uh, not just creating the art, but being able, enabling the artist to do so as well. Um, I think I think that's where people get a real kick out of crowdfunding, uh, but if, if you are going to do it, I really think you need to be very careful about uh expectations and what you can reasonably achieve with the the money you've got i would push people to uh work on project or get projects off of the ground that are very achievable um and get way more money than you need for the project because you will you you definitely will still not have enough money Mm. And I, yeah, I think that personal connection is definitely uh, imperative. Oh yeah, 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 and it's amazing the amount of crowdfunding videos that you you see. And I used to get asked all the time, um, oh, "What do you think of my crowdfunding video? Can you give me tips?" And I would give the people tips, and that no,
0: nah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they they wouldn't like the tips, and then they'd launch it, and then it would fail. It's like, well, jeez, I don't know, I tried. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a that's a weird paradigm.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I sometimes I think people just
0: want. Um,
1: just want you to tell, tell you that they're good yeah, rare, rare aff- aff- affirmation and there's nothing worse than that um, just being told something is, is good over and over and over again because you, you're unable to learn or grow or find those issues and then resolve those issues if, you, if you're not aware of it then you can't well,
0: you're just, you know
1: you're playing with yourself really
0: yeah, absolutely um, well, I hope that uh, Trollbridge has uh, an incredibly successful uh, festival run thank you and uh, next time we're chatting it'll be about the next project um, I finish all my conversations with uh, what I hope is a, an uh, upward sentiment um, <laughs> which is question is what makes you silly what makes me silly
1: yeah oh jeez Uh uh, you, uh, film related, I'm assuming. Anything, Any, uh, however well, you interpret the question. Sure, uh, my fiance at the moment is what makes me silly, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing in my
0: life right now. Yeah. In what way does she make you silly?
1: Oh, gee. <laughs> Goofy, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I, I have. She's incredible at keeping me straight, as in uh, keeping me focused on the art um, and being able to direct me when I'm lost, essentially. Uh, She's always been there at every turn, especially, particularly in Troll Bridge, and has been able to pull me out of those dark times like you wouldn't believe, and believe me, there have been many, many dark times on the project. Um, and she's always been waiting there uh, at the end and being able to help me, pull me through uh, and figure out who I am again. Yeah. Uh, that's not silly though, that's no. uh, quite poignant. It's very um, insightful. Insightful,
0: what, right. How, how did you guys meet? Uh, in a projection room. Oh really?
1: Yeah, she was working at the River Lee. Um, I was there to see a, a mate, um, it was the Pirates of the Caribbean 2 screening. And um, was the opening night. I really
0: wanted to see it, and she was running the gig. <laughs> and uh, what does she, does she still work in? Does she work in film as well?
1: Uh, yeah, she 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 now works at Acme. Um, she he works in the uh, preservation centre. Um, So, old uh, film, old VHS, old, uh, just basically anything that's very important to uh, Melbourne or Australia. Uh, Her job is to preserve uh, that stuff digitally, because it's all all going to mess right now. A lot of the film prints are turning to vinegar, Um, so it's it's a bit of a race to be able to get all of that uh, stuff in a manner that it's not going to degrade any further.
0: Mm. I mean, not to get too earnest about it, but I think when you're living, uh, or when you're pursuing an artistic life, it is very important to have someone to kind of ground you and kind of pull you back into uh, the, the real world. Yeah, so maybe it's the opposite. She, she's what gets me out of the silly phase, <laughs> and keeps me sane. Well, that's a first. I've never had someone give me the opposite, so. <laughs> well, that's silly. That is silly. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dan. No, thank you.